Hi, and welcome back to the second installment of the Johnny Book Travel Show. I'm Steve. We're talking today about one of my favorite days in Europe. I like to call it the Two Tates. For a quick overview of this Johnny Book Travel Show, we go from Regency Cafe for traditional English breakfast to Tate Britain and its wonderful collection of Turners. And Turner was the artist that the pedantic gentleman in Midnight in Paris referred to as one of the possible fathers of expressionisms along with Monet. To a boat ride to the Tate Modern for modern art and then to either Borough Market or Tia Ting of the Shangri-La. So let's dive deeper into this travel trail. For the trailhead, put in at Regency Cafe for breakfast. If you're looking for the quintessential start to a British day, then start your British day at Regency Cafe. I've done everything I know to resist a soup Nazi joke here. So I will make you a deal. No tiresome Seinfeld jokes. If you just please, please show up to this local cafe and then stand in line and order and be direct and polite. Don't hold up the line, please. Just sit down and have your mind bashed with sausage and then slapped with ham and eggs and potato cakes. And then, like any good English person, make your way out for other diners. The man running the show here has a job to do, and that is to feed Londoners the start to their London day so that they have the energy to finish their London day. I've seen what happens to tourists who bluster around in here, and if you aren't taking this start to London as serious as everyone else in here, you'll regret it. There are no toilets in here. That would only stall the British Concorde that is this cafe, but there is a cabbie's toilet around the corner. Just head up north on Regency Street and it's at the next intersection. The line there is hit or miss as far as lines go, uh, but don't worry about that. It goes fast, it moves. What you should worry about though, is if you're looking for anyone to respond to your ma'ams, ma'am, ma'ams. Called that repeatedly like cattle mooing for extra ranch is another place to start your London morning. For that matter, if that describes you, there are better websites slash podcasts for you. Anyway, here at this cafe at Regency is where they film the scene in Layer Cake where Morty, played by George Harris, who also plays the Auror and Harry Potter, named Kingsley Shacklebolt, uh, pummels a dude while a pre-James Bond basically just stands by and watches and does nothing, I guess it was before his training. I always think of this cafe when I hear of the famous but unfortunate phrase, I love London, I love the history of London, but I just got tired of fish and chips and pubs. That's like saying, I loved the energy of New York, but I just got tired of boiled hot dogs in dingy bars. I'm not sure in what other cities people think it would be the best idea to do the majority of their dining in bars, and I'm not sure how London slipped into that category, but 
Regency Cafe is the traditional cuisine of England that I think that most people are looking for. My great aunt used to make homemade bread for us cousins when we had family reunions at her place in Tyler, Texas. She could have driven to the local supermarket, bought plastic wrapped bread, and we would have gotten full lived another day without the threat of starvation but when you don't have lots and lots of money you can't spend money to show love for the people around you like buying them big expensive fu engagement rings what you can spend is time and love you can spend time and love into making ordinary things into special things like my great aunt who woke up two hours before us and using the starter that she kept going for 27 years made us sourdough toast from scratch and it was warm and fluffy and crunchy on the outside and she made every person feel that warmth that is the magic behind a place like Regency Cafe. Trail stop two, the first of the two Tates, Tate Britain. Oh yes, the free-spirited Tate Modern has an older sister who can not only offer deeper, more mature conversation, but who is just as beautiful as her younger sister, and in fact is the one who showed her younger sister how to put on makeup out of Regency Cafe head east on Page Street through the buildings that are checkerboards for giants. You'll know what I'm talking about when you're up there. Take a right to head south on Marsham Street and keep going straight as Marsham Street becomes Herrick Street. And then you will come to a little park called Millbank Gardens for a sit or for an outdoor elliptical. Or just cross through the garden and on the east side of the park, there's the back wall of the Tate Britain. Take Atterbury Street around the side of the Tate Britain and there's the river and the steps to the Museum of 500 Years of British Art. What's fun here at the Tate Britain is their walk-through time rooms. British art from the 1500s to today organized chronologically. It's very Mary Poppins-ish the way you jump into the 1500s art here and don't come out until the present day. In some museums, it's surprising when you have a room all to yourself. But in this museum, it's surprising when you don't. Unless you consider the art student spread out on the floor doing charcoal sketching as sharing. One of my favorite paintings, Ophelia by Sir John Everett Millet, is here. It is a scene from Shakespeare's Hamlet of a girl singing in a stream before she drowns. I love just sort of rolling up my pants at my ankles and taking off my shoes and dipping my feet into the stream in which she's lying. It's one of my top five uh, favorite paintings in terms of what it says to me because mainly, like all great art, what she's saying is don't say anything at all and listen. Good travel is good listening. The Tate Britain actually had a lovely article on this painting called Look Closer, the story of Ophelia, I will link it below. Then there's the Tate Britain's collection of Turners, which is the largest in the world. For me, Turner is the missing link. 
between traditional and modern art. Turner paints enough of a remnant of traditional art to where you start to see why art just had to change. The Da Vinci's of the world had done their duty, and when the old masters packed such genius into one canvas, someone like Turner had to come along and pick apart those paintings and dive deeper into why those works of those great masters meant so much. For example, the color red, or why the outline of a ship means more than a detailed photograph in 20K. What specific part of the soul did that stimulate for you? That's what Turner asks. What did it evoke, pull at, pinch, sting? If you've never trusted modern art, take some extra time in this collection and allow me, through this collection, to argue in modern art's favor. Give it a shot. It'd be pretty cool to me if London got the credit for turning you on to modern art. I wonder if that's why they call him Turner. Because he turns people on to modern art. Although, what's funny about Turner is that when you Wikipedia Turner, one of the first things the article mentions is that Turner proudly, despite enormous success in what could arguably be the most pretentious circles of high art that basically exist in the world, that Turner proudly kept his blue-collar, Londoner, Cockney accent. And that makes me wonder how a man who proudly retained his blue collarness, his London Cockney roots, would respond to the pedantic gentleman at midnight in Paris, comparing him to Bonnet. And what what? You compare me to that French twat juxtaposing color. If that French dot on Monet is a father of abstract expressionism, then that makes me the granddad down it, you geezer. And as your granddad, I'm telling you, I wouldn't waste one fucking quid on Monet's scribbles, which don't belong in Cheapside, London. No more than the Queen of England herself belongs kicking up a bloody skirt at the Moulin fucking Rouge. Trail stop three, the Tate Modern. Now that you've let Turner, Mr. Cockney himself, do the job that's in the name and he's turned you onto modern art, let's leave the Tate Britain and head to the Tate Modern by going down the steps of the Tate Britain, crossing the street, turning left on the walkway at the River Thames, and in a minute or maybe less, finding the sign for Millbank Millennium Pier. Walk down to the pier for the Tate boat, which runs every 40 minutes between the two Tates. There is a little self-serving kiosk where you can buy boat tickets with the credit card. It'll ask you for your destination. You're going to Bangside Pier. The boat will be there shortly. Rather than the little ticket kiosk, however, it might be easier if you ask the people at the front desk of the Tate Britain how to do it. 
That's what I did. They were very friendly and they led me straight. They'll know just what to do and make sure you don't miss the boat. As far as commuter boats go in London, they're convenient and easy, so take a deep breath of river air, my friend. If you're curious, it was my British brother-in-law who turned me on to the commuter boats because he used to take them to work and back when he was a young lawyer living in London. And that's how I discovered that. This particular boat ride from the Tate Britain to the Tate Modern will backstroke you down the River Thames past such attractions as the Eye. You'll disembark the boat at Bankside Pier, which is unnervingly close to Millennium Pedestrian Bridge which you can cross uh, to find St. Paul's at the other side of the bridge. It sits just right there on the opposite bank, but it would be irresponsible of me as a travel authority if I didn't at least alert you to the very real, remote though it may be, possibility of evil wizards knocking that bridge right out from underneath your feet. And you won't see it coming because these evil wizards are invisible when they do stuff like this. Well, not invisible, invisible, uh, more like a smudge, like a predator, or when you're invisible in Halo, or super glue once it dries. For the Millennium Pedestrian Bridge is in fact the very pedestrian bridge sunk by the Death Eaters in the beginning sequence of the film Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Although, now that I ponder it, I do wonder how the Death Eaters Central Command decided that a pedestrian bridge would be the target of greatest tactical advantage to wizard world domination. I need a target, people, the Death Eater Colonel would have said. A word from the top is to hit the muggles where it hurts. They've ignored the magical world for centuries and that can't come unpunished or they'll think we're weak, even though they don't know we exist. The Colonel looks to the other officers in the room, drinking their scotch, sitting around their old oak table. They've been sitting around since God knows when. So many wars. So many friends lost, but also gained. He raises his eyebrows at the phone in the center of the table in a way that hints, in no uncertain terms, that the next conversation won't be pleasant for anybody in this room. He clears his throat and speaks. Intel, you're on with Northern Command. Usual suspects are here in the room with me, so we'll skip greetings and salutations for now and get right to the point. What have you, boys? He stretches out the word boys and the other older officers in the room get a slight chuckle. Got from here is possible targets. Intel staff over the speakerphone says, okay, basically slim pickings. We're all ears, says the old colonel. Like I said, continues Intel, they're slim pickings, but we fished out some beauties of this barren lake of muggle targets. On the double, shouts the old colonel. First, says the intel guy on the phone, there's the BT communications tower. Then, as if knowing the colonel was looking at the speaker phone with a puzzled look, the intel guy clarifies with, that big communications tower that's featured on every coffee table book ever written about London? That's between Marlebone and Bloomsbury. If you hit Finstonia, you've gone too far south? Ah, the colonel nods his head. The one that looks like the giant... He stops, clears his throat, cheeks bright red, as if remembering last week's sexual harassment training. He avoids eye contact with the female officer in the room. 
Come on Intel, have you got any targets with some real meat? Folks upstairs want to hit the muggles where that's. One could make the argument, says the Intel guy over the phone, that hitting the BT communications tower would destabilize the entire muggle government of London. The communications would go dark, rendering their responses to our advances chaotic at best. Here a new, posh voice wiggles through the speaker. A younger, uh, maybe 22, 23, fresh out of military academy, not to mention all the millennia muggles who would go absolutely mental without Instagram refreshing on their phones. What about a bridge? Chimes in the old colonel. Back in my day, we always went for the bloody bridge. Ticks all the boxes. He looks around the room. The other older guys nodding in the room is encouragement enough. The old colonel slams down his glass of good scotch. Yes, I think we've got it, says the Death Eaters colonel, patting his holstered wand. Find the first pedestrian bridge and knock it out from under them walking muggles. They're surrendered now. Let's shake them to their core, gents. Take a note, you younger chaps. The best wars are the ones that are over before they even begin. Well, who's up for a pint? Off we go then. If, however, you don't want to risk a Death Eater attack, then from disembarking at Bankside Pier, walk straight to the Tate Modern. Also, Borough Market is here if you want a little something to eat, like maybe a curry to share. Stopping at Borough Market is always a good idea. It's quick if you want it to be, and cheap if you want it to be. The Tate Modern is a free museum and an industrial building that used to power London with electricity and, in my opinion, and that of the Association of Lame Metaphors, still does just with the electricity of great art. Here is where I narrow my eyes at you, though. Because it never fails, no matter who you're with, that somebody will walk into a modern art museum and say, I just don't get it. I mean, I could do that. Do you remember the scene in The Devil Wears Prado when Andy scoffed at the so-called fashion gurus who were trying to pick out a belt and Miranda gave her that nice little dressing down about how her blue lumpy sweater that she wasn't taking herself too seriously in was actually picked out by the very people in this very room? Same thing. It's Albert Einstein's theory who said about relativity that when you sit with a pretty girl for two hours, you think it's only a minute. But when you sit on a hot stove for a minute, you think it's two hours. That's relativity and that's modern art. The tape written and its classical paintings is the pretty girl you spent two hours with. So now, put your hand on a hot stove. In any modern art museum, I look for a piece to burn my subconscious in a way that makes me yank it away. So whenever this happens, whether it's your first painting and you question why the color orange extracted memories of your childhood, or if that happens on the fifth floor with Monet's water lilies, if that's when you put your hand on the hot stove and had to yank it away, it's time to move on. I head for the top of the Tate Modern, floor 10 of the Blavatink building, where an observation deck is about as close to an Empire State Building experience as you can get in London. On floor 6 of the Boiler Room building, uh, there is also a cafe with beer and coffee and a drink 
directly across the river view of St. Paul's. That is hard to beat in this world. The drink here will help you with the mundanes of whoever you are traveling with. If they have not accepted the inevitability of modern art. After all, if any artist tried to do a painting of the Madonna with Halo and the Christ Child, they'd call it wannabe at best, more likely a Pratt, because it's been done by the best who ever done it. What you'll need is a second drink when said individual, speaking of inevitability, repeats that tiresome phrase. I mean, I could do that. I could paint that. I found it best to say in that situation, you know what we should do? We should get some canvases from an art store, set them up by the Thames and try it. Just try it. We'll see if you can actually do it. That usually silences the tiresome talking points, but if it doesn't, what a fun evening that would be. For the trail end, I have two choices for the exit of this trail. Either Borough Market or Tea at Ting of the Shangri-La. And the fork in this road is because these are two of my favorite places in the world because uh, I am a quality over quantity guy. But here at Johnny Book, we try to give a choice between quality and quantity of quality. I did start out making $10 an hour driving an ambulance, after all. Like Hemingway, yes, because when you're deciding what to do in life, what better reason is there than saying Hemingway did it? The first option is my less expensive quality option of Borough Market, which after your relatively inexpensive breakfast at Regency Cafe, two free museums plus donations, cheap ride on a commuter boat, you can do Borough Market well for 10 bucks, you know, 15 if you, you know, want to get accessories like drinks, etc. Borough Market is the best of England under one roof. The fact that it has no walls between the stalls of some places is a perfect metaphor to the fact that it has endless possibilities. Curry, venison burgers from farms two hours north. I've probably stopped at Borough Market more times than any place I've stopped at in Europe. Sometimes I stop there twice a day, sometimes three times a day, sometimes four times a day. That's how varied it can be. That's how unique this place is. It even includes a place to go to the bathroom. And then there's my quantity of quality option, tea at ting of the Shangri-La. Because we did traditional England at Regency Cafe, past England at Tate Britain, modern England at Tate Modern. Now it's upward and onward, but mostly upward, to the 35th floor of the futuristically designed Shard, which is the tallest building in the UK for tea in the Shangri-La Hotel. And when I say quantity or quality, I mean because it is more expensive than Borough Market. However, you have to cost average it out because here's what your roughly $100, depending on what you order and current conversion rate, buys you at tea at Ting of the Shangri-La. Number one, you get a view of London, subtracted from the price. It's not really a view city, but over 30 stories up, you can see the Tower of London, the Thames, etc, etc, all from way up high. Number two, what you get with your $100 is an intimate evening with England. Tea 
is as close to England as you can get, and it represents the best of England. Three, speaking of dinner, a delicious meal, because you gotta eat somewhere. Number four, evening drinks. I spend between 15 to $20 per crappy cocktail in New York when I don't want to be rude and accept invitations to drinks. Have your drinks here. Ting of the Shangri-La, have your champagne here. So number five, the fifth bang for your buck, you get a Ting of the Shangri-La is urinals some 30 stories above London, which are bordered by clear glass windows. That means if you have had a bad experience somewhere like with some rude waiter or something like that, you can literally say, I piss on you. 30 some odd stories up with a view looking out over London, you can literally piss on them. How much would you pay for that? Number six, a social media win, if that's your thing. And you know, oh, your child took his first steps today. He's going to walk a thousand more times than that. In fact, if he's anything like the average person, 216,262,500 times to be exact. The average person, however, does not have dry ice sweep across their table like the first hint of fall in a summer lake in the mountains while you just happen to be holding your sweet iPhone up to it. Number seven, same as the previous, but with a tray of three golden tears of clotted cream and finger sandwiches for your sister-in-law's Facebook page to suck on. Eight, caffeine. Don't go buy coffee. Let the tea do the caffeine heavy lifting for the night. Number nine, dessert. And not just one tier, like when you were going for eclairs in their one tier boxes. Dessert here comes in a three tier system. And the 10th, bang for your buck, that you get a tea ting of the Shangri-La is an excuse to sit down with somebody in an environment that enhances conversation. The dinner, the tea, the drinks, all that is kind of secondary. Speaking of quality or quantity, it is time to wrap this up. So I'm Ernest Hemp, Johnny Book, bye for now.